What is the Harm Reduction Coalition? Well, the Harm Reduction Coalition is a non-for-profit organization that we created to help to facilitate harm reduction strategies through a broad scope of areas. Now, harm reduction is a very interesting term because it means a variety of different things to different people. So for me, as a pharmacist from Edmonton, I find that we have issues with tobacco use. And the harm reduction within tobacco use is not very well understood, but we have to move to an environment where we can educate healthcare professionals and the public's about some strategies around to reduce the risk in this area. The same way as a pharmacist, we would manage opioid disorders and where we would try to encourage different techniques. So it's really kind of a, a, a plethora of ideas and strategies to help in harm reduction throughout uh, societal issues. It's the stupefying agents that, that play the big role here, right? That Correct. you're trying to reduce the harm Correct. from. Yes, and again, vaping is one of the areas where in the smoking area that I spend some time with my patients is they just don't have enough information. The average population just doesn't understand all the issues related to it. So we want people to stop smoking. We want them to use alternative methods to reduce the risk. There's some risk, but it's, it's a lot less than smoking. So why then is THR a hard concept to get people's heads around? I think tobacco harm reduction is one of those things where it's just a new concept, generally speaking. There weren't very many products until about 2014. So I think it's just a question where, because smoking is so ritualized and such a habit, and we use a variety of products to treat it, uh, you know, nicotine replacement therapy, gums, lozenges, there are many methods that there is some evidence but people, they're just not very successful. So tobacco harm reduction, there are new technologies, there's new products, there's some innovation in that field that make it uh, a lot easier for a health practitioner to engage with the, with the consumer when we get questions about it. So in, in Edmonton, your clients, people you know, friends and family, has the mood changed towards vaping than say maybe back in 2016, 2017? Yeah. I, I think we've gone through that complete curve. I think there's enough data out there now where there's, there, there's a, a benefit. We know that uh, those products uh, provide uh, nicotine uh, without some of the, the other 7,000 chemicals that happen in combustible cigarettes. It's an education process. It'll take some time to develop materials, but I think throughout the whole course, you know, the Harm Reduction Coalition is there to work in a broad variety of areas, and tobacco is just one of them. How do you think Health Canada has been handling tobacco harm reduction, specifically vaping? Well, I, you know, having listened to many of the forums, read that data, their response is more in a controlled manner that comes from a historical perspective. They haven't adapted some of their views to what the, the, the word on the street is, so to speak. It, you know, they're, they're entrenched in, in a bureaucratic system that has one way of looking at it. And I believe that the regulations will have to adapt to a new era. And it'll take some time to get there because there's, you know, the, these organizations don't move that quickly. They're not going to adopt new trends and new research very easily. So what do you, I mean, you know a flavor ban potentially is coming down and, and there's certainly been a lot of restrictions that have come into place since they legalized vaping in 2018. I'd, I'd like to know, you know, for a group that specializes in harm reduction, right? I mean, is there a movement to like kind of 
you know, get at Health Canada on this issue or not? I, I think in that particular area that you have submissions, you can do what you can for it, and they're going to make their decision. Uh, the interesting part I can tell you, however, though, is that they can put a flavor ban in the vaping industry. But, indus but, but industries change and adapt to whatever the policy is. So there's going to be a workaround for the consumer. There always is. We prefer it to be upfront and straightforward. But uh, we, we can't tell that because Health Canada has its own uh, mandate and it's a large organization and they're going to make the, this, they're going to make their decisions based on the way that they see their mandate. I think where the thing is people forget that, you know, tobacco, you know, you have cardiovascular disease, you have cancer and you have COPD, which is a lung disorder. The average cost to, the, to Canada is probably $10 billion a year in this area. And, you know, our smoking rates are going down, but it's still a concern. So if you come from a country with socialized medicine, you want to allocate the dollars properly. And that's why I'm interested in it, because I think there's options around it now. So, no, I'm going to continue to fight that one, because in pharmacy and in, the, in my health field where, that I spent my time in, it's very evident of the damage. I think for me, it's like there are many options and technologies around the world that are going to come forward. We see it in New Zealand, we see it in Australia, you see it proponents that say, if you're smoking vape, I mean, you have to, you, you can't change necessarily the behavior because people are attracted to nicotine for a variety of reasons that only they know why. But we want them to move to safer alternatives. And those are starting to be shown up in the data worldwide. So there's hope. There is hope, yes. We're very optimistic that within five years we'll be in a, in a better place. Why are you here at this uh, harm reduction conference? Um, I was just invited to um, give a presentation, continuing education presentation to some pharmacists um, about tobacco use and tobacco use disorder and some of the emerging trends that we're seeing in that field. Do you have a lot of patients who smoke? We still do. I mean, uh, smoking rates in, in Canada have really gone down over the last, you know, 10, 20 years, but we still see a significant amount of people that do use tobacco on a regular basis. And do they struggle with trying to quit? It's an extremely hard thing to do. Uh, quitting, you know, the use of tobacco or quitting smoking is extremely difficult. Many people um, struggle with it on an ongoing basis and some people are unable um, to quit or some are just unwilling to quit. Do people know that there's options out there that are less harmful? I think, um, you know, most people are not very familiar with some of the, the new um, options available. Um, some of these emerging things like e-cigarettes or heat not burn products. Um, it's not widespread knowledge for most people. Even with all of the, you know, lung vaping related lung disease and teen epidemic? Yeah, I mean, I think there's just a lot of information out there, um, you know, and it's very difficult for the average person to kind of interpret all that stuff that's out there. And a lot of the evidence is still coming out too, right? So um, it's not, you know, uh, as easy to point to black and white things like, you know, conventional smoking is. So how does it work here in Canada? Is it just expected that pharmacists on their own go out and educate themselves in this area or on, on these kinds of things? or? Do, you know, you look to your association or? 
Well, pharmacists, like any health professional, have a uh, responsibility to kind of stay up to date on all things medical. So um, it would be up to, you know, the individual pharmacists to make sure they're up to speed on anything that's changing, including in, in the field of tobacco use. Um, often there'll be different providers that put together professional development uh, events on the most relevant topics, but it is kind of the, the responsibility of the individual practitioner. What would it take, for instance, to come to a threshold in which pharmacists in Canada would recommend vaping products? Um, well, I don't think it's so much as recommending um, vaping products. I think, you know, um, pharmacists know a lot more about harm reduction than, than we did even five or ten years ago, and it's really because of the opioid epidemic. Um, so pharmacists now are very familiar with helping uh, opioid users reduce their harm by providing things like naloxone kits or methadone or suboxone treatment. And I think um, the same concept can be, provide, uh, can be applied to tobacco use. Uh, how can you reduce that individual's harm? So, uh, you know, I've been a, a, someone who's helped people with smoking cessation for 12 years, and I'm proud to say I've helped many people quit smoking, but the reality is, is the majority of the people that I see are unable or unwilling to quit smoking. It's very difficult, and not everybody is at that point on their journey where they're, they're ready or able to quit. And so what harm reduction is, is it's helping give them an alternative. If they're not able to get to that point where they quit smoking, can we give them an option that reduces their risk? So it may not um, eliminate their risk, but it just reduces their risk of harm at the end of the day. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing, right? I mean, I, I think, you know, patient-centered care is about meeting that patient where they're at at that particular time. And if I can help them in any way reduce their risk, then I think it's, it's been a success. I'm a science educator when it comes to tobacco harm reduction, so I like to investigate and take a look at the science behind how some of these reduced risk products might benefit adult smokers. So I'm here as part of a contingent uh, to you know, meet with healthcare uh, practitioners and other stakeholders to you know, give them some insight into the benefits for adult smokers who switch to non-combustible alternatives. So as a scientist, um, I review the literature, I take a look at the studies, and then I stand up and speak to the stakeholders that might be interested. So for example, family physicians or pharmacists, and I distill down the science into uh, sort of more digestible bits and then answer questions um, so that people get clear understanding because that's the important thing is that we sort of communicate and make it uh, the information available as well as the devices available. So what does the science say about these reduced risk products? So the predominant um, feature of these reduced risk products that impacts harm reduction is the fact that they're non-combustible, which means they don't burn tobacco, and instead they have a heating device that either heats tobacco in some of these heat not burn devices, or heats this liquid that generates aerosols in both cases that contain nicotine, and then that nicotine is delivered to the user. But what the science evidence that's important shows is that as opposed to cigarette smoke, which contains 6,000 different chemicals, some of which are harmful or potentially harmful, the levels of those chemicals is remarkably reduced in these heat not burn and uh, 
vaping products. Does that mean the harm is reduced too? So what the evidence to date, so again, it's about exposure and dose. So in an acute time, if you switch for combustible circuit uh, cigarettes to either of these other approaches, heat not born or e-cigarettes, in about seven days, the levels of some of these chemicals in your urine or in your bud are reduced to the levels often almost 95% clo as close to quitting smoking completely. Wow. Right? So it really is remarkable how quickly our bodies clear out the toxins if we give them a chance. So when you're out consulting and educating, you know, people in the medical community or pharmacists and so forth, do they not know that these products are less harmful? So in a lot of cases, they don't even know they exist. And so part of it of the, you know, absence of marketing of these devices or any sort of educational system um, for healthcare practitioners then they don't know they exist and they don't understand the harms. There is, like in all situations, when it comes to um, taking care of their patients, people are always looking for alternatives to what's available. And people are so different. Those individual differences in each adult smoker or other person has to be taken into account if you're gonna match them with some sort of a device or an alternative that's gonna work for them. So I think that the biggest job in the next year or so or in the short term is really just getting the information out that these things exist and what are the benefits and who might match them. It's hard to get the message out say on heat not burn or on vaping products when you know regulatory wise you're not allowed to really talk about it. Yeah so I'm allowed to talk to you <laughs> and I'm allowed to talk to healthcare pr practitioners in those uh, you know that have been vetted from that perspective that they arrive and they ask the questions. But again, when it comes to the healthcare practitioners and stakeholders, government stakeholders, we need to sort of broaden the scope in a collaborative way to make sure that we have industry partners working with government, working with you know, uh, different patient advocacy groups um, and just all across the board, let's get all on the same page because then we might be able to balance both the benefits of these to some populations and the risks that might be created in other populations and that's an important balance. Is there a lot of junk science out there in this area? There is a lot of, I, I'm, I'm a scientist so I'm not sure, uh, you know, there's a lot Suspect of, science. There's, there's a lot of um, misinformation that occurs and so when we do science um, in our labs, whether it be in, in a tissue culture system, in an animal model or in a clinical population, it goes through peer review. And so, but we select what we include in our papers and we select, we design them ourselves. So balanced design means we take into account a lot of the different aspects. So sometimes people can design an experiment. For example, if you just take an aerosol and see what does it do to these cells in a dish? It might change something about those cells of the dish and you can publish that. And the media might say, this aerosol kills these cells. But what we need in order to understand harm reduction is we need to compare it to smoke. Because harm reduction is not about whether or not the aerosol is the same as air, because it's not. <laughs> it's the difference of how is this aerosol better than the smoke in the first place. So this is where it's not junk science, it just doesn't have all of the, it's not always the right comparators. But luckily, when we have people across the world who are pulling all these studies together, we start to get consensus. And so we need industry sponsored, sponsored trials to do a lot of the legwork and pay for a lot of the work that is necessary to get this moving. And we need independent investigators to validate that. And we need conversation because there's sometimes it's up for interpretation.